Okay, welcome guys. It's great to have you. Thanks for those who um, showed up. There are a couple classes going on right now, and I know that it was kind of confusing when you look at the app to see, okay, are there married classes on Saturday? And so we were trying to inform people yesterday. I hope you got some of the little flyers that were handed out, and maybe that's why you're here, or you're friends with me, and I gave you a couple bucks to show up. <laughs> uh, uh, so thanks for coming. Um, before we get started, I want to just... Um, Maybe we can close the back door so they don't hear the children um, echoing from afar. Uh, is that my wife and I were from San Diego, and uh, we have thanks. Thank you, thank you. I'll get you later. Thank you. Uh, it, it, we have um, we have uh, four children, two in college that are disciples. We have two in high school, one studying. He's taller than I am. He's six two. And all my boys are going to be taller than me, thanks to my wife's jeans. Um, but if you see him, don't say, hey, I heard you're studying. You know, don't, don't do that. Um, <laughs> appreciate that. Just pray for him. Um, and, and so it's a lot of fun. We have a great time. We have two dogs um, also. And live in a nice suburbia in, in San Diego, about 20, 20 minutes north of downtown. So today we're going to talk about The Art of Intimate Marriage. This book that we just released has just been out a couple weeks, so it's still warm. And um, we got some cards to go along with that, which Jennifer will talk to. And so what I'm going to talk to is about some of the, uh, the spiritual side of things. And we'll look at that and we'll get started right now. So here's the agenda that we're going to look at. The agenda we got, God's view of sexuality and the art of intimate marriage. Validation, which we'll touch on. We're going to look at challenges in the marriage. And we're going to look at some fun and practicals. Okay, so this is a very 80,000 foot level of our book. Okay, so this just give you a taste of um, the contents that are in the book. Okay, so God, I want you guys to understand how God uses sexual language. So sexuality is designed by God as a way for God to know us more fully. So when you look at Ezekiel 16 and Ezekiel 23, we'll look at that here. And in Ezekiel 16, as it comes up, verse 4 through 7, it says, On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by, I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant on the field. You grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew. You were naked and bare. Okay. Verse 8 through 11. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you, covered your nakedness. I gave you solemn oath, and I entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I dressed you in the fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. And jumping down to 13, it says, You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen, and your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. Because of the splendor I had given you, 
made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. See, so God's description here, as you see, uh, with Israel was that he said, live, flourish. This is what I have for you. You are mine. I have a covenant. Know me. And continue in verse 15 and 16. But you trusted in your beauty. Use your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places when you carried on your prostitution. Verse 25. At the head of every street you built your lofty shrines and degraded your beauty, offering your body with increasing increasing promiscuity to anyone who passed by. And see this language he uses? It's sexual language. So he's using sexual language to decide or describe first his beauty, describing Israel. Wow, live, flourish, do things. And now he's like using it. Man, why did you do that? This hurts me. And he's using um, language here to describe that. Continuing now in Ezekiel 23, verse 3 through 8, it says, During her youth, men slept with her, caressed her virgin bosom, and poured out their lust upon her. She lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like those of donkeys, and whose emissions was like that of horses. Lewdness of your youth, your young breasts fondled. So again, you see all these different words that God used to describe, and he used sexual language to describe his pain. Because he knew, guys, that we could relate. Because all of us that are married, I'm going to assume everybody in here is married, is that we could relate with that, that part of our marriage. And so he used that language, even here for the Israelites. Okay, Ezekiel 23. In that land, their breasts were fondled, and their virgin bosoms caressed. And continue on, she gave herself as a prostitute to all the elite of the Assyrians and defiled herself with all the idols of everyone she lusted after. She did not give up the prostitution. She began in Egypt. When during her youth, men slept with her, caressed her virgin bosom, and poured out their lust upon her. Verse 20, there she lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like those of donkeys. Okay, that repeated there. So just seeing that these, this language that God used and how he wanted us to see how hurt he was in here. So God uses sexual language to communicate who he is, how he feels, what's going on. And again, because as humans, he designed us. He knew exactly what would get to us and what would make it help us to know him. So sexuality is designed by God as a way to know us, to know God more fully. We're going to look at a second point here. And the second point, God continues to use sexuality, but he says, knowing, knowing God guards and guides our sexuality. So as you know God, you strive to know God, you strive to walk with God. In Romans 1, it says, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to the depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. You know, you, th- you, you didn't think it, these people were like, he didn't think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. These people went astray. They said, okay, I'm going to now go by my own strength, my own abilities. I'm going to use my beauty, is what Israel did. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5, 
It says that the heathen who do not know God give their bodies to sexual immorality. So here we're going to start looking at knowing God. And okay, let's look at some of the the we're going to look at some of the Hebrew and the Greek about God. So we're going to look at some of the Old and New Testament. To know. What's it mean to know? What's the scripture say? So in the New Testament, the word's nasco for Greek, and it means to know. So in John 10, 14, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So right below that, I put this kind of diagram in here. It says God knows Jesus, so it's equal. Is it equal? And you see, Jesus knows his sheep, and so it is to know. So God, Jesus, sheep, know. God wants you to know. And then verse 125, where Joseph did not know Mary until after Jesus was born. So it's the same word, to know, where Joseph did not know Mary because he hadn't had an intimacy with her yet. So he did not know her. It's the same exact word that God's trying to describe that I want you to know me as I know, as Jesus knew the sheep. So when we look in the Old Testament, we looked at the word yada. And you guys have heard the word yada, yada, yada. I know, I know, I know. Okay. You've heard that, and hopefully your kids haven't said that, but um, maybe you've said that in your head. Um, I'd probably be guilty of that. Um, but so you see here in, in Jeremiah 31 and 34, it says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor, know the Lord, because they will all know me. Because God's going to put on their heart. In Genesis 4.1, that Adam knew Eve. And there was an equilibrium there. Adam, new Eve, no. So all this to know. So the same word to know is both used in both the old and the new. means the exact same thing. And this is the kind of relationship. So in the bottom there, the intimate knowing between Jesus and God, between us and God, is the intimate knowing He wants for us to have in our marriage. And this is a point that I want you guys to take home. This closeness, looking at the Old Testament, look at the New, look what happened as Jesus or God described to Israel and how they'd fallen away. First they saw their beauty, then they fell away. And look at that intimate language that he used. Again, he used sexual language to describe, because he knew again we would get that. Okay. Okay, and so this slide is just a summary of what we just discussed. So in John 17, 3, it says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true in Jesus Christ, true God in Jesus Christ, is that this is what God knew what we'd know. And so when you have this relationship with your wife, and you guys are, we're going to get into the intimate part here soon, but that... This knowing of God, okay, we're all married, right? And a couple doors open, so some of the kids might hear this. Um, but that when you're in an intimate moment and you're having that orgasm, that intimate time of, wow, that's what God wants you to feel about Him. Because that's how He feels about you. And so that wow moment is what God's trying to get across you. That's why He uses all this sexual language. And everything, because he knew, okay, okay, yeah, I get that. I I can see that from the guys, yeah, I think you get that. Um, Is that this is the overarching view of sexuality in the Bible that God's trying to get to us. Okay, we're going to look at something quickly here. It's called validation and empathy, and I'm going to highlight this. Uh, This is something that's in detail in our book. 
Okay, and so what the, what validation is, is we call this off to the pig races, which I'll describe in a minute. How the heck would we get that? Um, so it's why the, on the left you see oink, O-I-N-C, vertical, race, R-A-C-E on the left, okay? So the one, this is because it helps you. Okay, I'm, I'm human, I need something simple. Okay, I'm an engineer, guys. That's what I do for my day job. Okay, I make disciples for my other job. And, but so I knew that, okay, what would be something simple? My wife um, coined this. And so, okay, one issue at a time, no kitchen sinking it, men, ladies, one issue at a time. I statements, I felt this, I, I heard that. It made, it caused me to feel that. And again, detail in the book. There's no blaming or accusing, you did this, the pointing finger, there's none of that, okay? Um, and you wanna keep it short. So one topic, one or two sentences, very short. Now the validator is the person that's being spoken to. The validator will one, first reflect it back, and, all the, and reflection is like being a mirror. You simply repeat what they said, and then ask questions. It's okay, did I get all that? Did I say exactly what you were trying to get across to me? Did I say it the right way? That's kind of what I say sometimes. Or can I use a different language, honey? Because I know sometimes I might just cut right to the chase. Um, and then you confirm. And then the hard part here is at the end, the empathize, is that once the spouse goes through their, explains their thing, the empathy is where you say, oh, you know, that exact same thing happened to me when my boss talked to me this way. I felt so belittled, so disrespected that it made me want to crawl into a hole. And that's how I made you feel. I'm sorry. Actually, sorry. That's one of the things you don't do. You don't apologize. You're just seeking to understand right now. Okay. There's no apologies at this point. You're just seeking to understand. Um, and so this is where um, the speaker and the validate, validator. Now what I'm going to attempt to do here is I got a little video for you guys. If it works across this connection. One, she is racing for you out of lane one blue. Give it up for okay. J Lo. So. Shouldn't have hurt low pigs. All right, there you are. What did he say? She took out of Lane 2 Maroon from the. Yeah, I just did. It's queuing. Okay, so let me describe it while it's queuing. So the, we go to the San Diego Fair every year. Okay, and it's got. And the San Diego Fair has this amazing pig race. Um, and so they have these pig races. And my kids, since they were this tall, knee high, we've been going to the pig races. And it's so they, these pigs race around this ring off for, guess what? An Oreo cookie at the end, okay? And so it just stuck out in their mind. It was something that the kids always enjoyed. And I wanted to share this video, so I'm kind of bummed it's not working. Uh, but you just see these fat little pigs running around a ring all for the Oreo cookie. And that's how we came up with the, the phrase oink race. And we made it to, in to do the validation. So right now I'm gonna go ahead and skip past this if it will let me. And I may have to escape out. Anyhow, so as it's doing this thing, I'm gonna have my wife come up here. But my wife, guys, I wanna describe her briefly. My wife um, is an amazing mother of four children, raised them at home, at home mom, ran a couple of small businesses while she was doing that. While she was, um, the kids finally went to school, she went and pursued her masters, got national awards for her masters. 
then she did so well. I'm like, hey, just go get your doctorate. You know, just go do it. It seems like it's easy for you, not knowing what I was getting into. Uh, and, and so she went and got her doctorate and just, wow, mounds of paper. She's read every article in the world on intimacy, and I'm not kidding, um, and how we were able to put together this book. She then received a national award for her doctorate um, and for dissertation of the year. And so my wife is an amazing woman and she has done a great job running a small business, getting her doctorate, and now she has her own private practice. We've written a book together, and I'm going to have her come up here while I try to fix this. I know. <laughs> I think we're going to have to go out of it. May have to reboot. Well, hopefully the rest of this will work. Um, just to do a, a quick review, um, so this is what I do full-time. I actually work with couples on their intimacy relationship. I'm a marriage and family therapist, but most of the people that come in are couples, and most of them come in for sexuality. And the spiritual portion that Tim covered, it's such a huge piece to understand that God intend, he uses sexual language. Okay, so any of you in here who've had betrayals in your marriage where you've actually had either a physical affair or an emotional affair, you understand the pain. The idea of your spouse, even if it hasn't happened to you, you understand the pain, right? It's like the worst thing ever. Some of you have experienced it. And God uses that language to say, this is the pain, Israel, that I feel when you committed idolatry. So, so bizarre. He uses, like, the, your emissions are like donkeys. Like, what's that about? He uses these kind of very blunt sexual terms to say, I need you to know my heart, right? And so then with Mary and Joseph, he uses the word to know that he uses to describe the depth of intimacy between Jesus and God is the depth of intimacy he wants in our sexual marital relationship. So that piece is, is huge. All right. The reason why we included that really quick taste of validation is because that's the key of the work that we do together and that I do individually with couples, is that verbal intimacy, and that was a conflict resolution tool that he was showing you briefly. It is described in detail. It's got three whole chapters on it in the book. Verbal intimacy is the core of sexual intimacy. And so we always, when we're helping couples, that's where we start. All right, so I'm just going to jump in and talk from my head because my slides are not working. Um, my part is to really discuss some of the challenges that couples have in the marital relationship. And those challenges can be in several different areas. One of the areas of challenge is from your background. So if you have um, a background where your parents didn't talk about sexuality, you didn't even open, they never sat down with you and had the talk. Or maybe they shoved a book at you and said, good luck. I've had people say, yeah, my dad gave me a condom and said, ask me if you have any questions. You know, mom shoved a book at me and was embarrassed to talk about it anymore. So if, if, if sexuality wasn't talked openly, or you were exposed to things that were really challenging in, in sexuality, then you're going to automatically have it. I want you to just disconnect and I just talk. I never did. Okay. Um, or you had you were exposed to pornography. Your parents um, did things sexually in front of you. You were molested. You were touched. Um, you were um, penetrated. If they masturbated in front of you, all of these things affect how people view sexuality as they mature into their adulthood. You think, well, no, that happened back then. No, it's a, it affects marriage now. 
So that's that whole background. Then anything you got involved in with sexually, so that's going to be along the lines of um, uh, if you got involved in anything online, if you got involved in extramarital, premarital relationships, even in your, if you were married before you're married now, with who you're married to now, if you had challenging sexual issues in your previous marriages or previous relationships, they affect your sexuality now. And so one of the pieces that's key is don't just work and don't just point at the spouse. It's usually bigger than that. The issues are background, family background, and they're also your sexual background and your spouse's sexual background. A lot of times we want to say it's just, you know, it's my spouse, but there's so many thing, more things affecting it, right? Okay, so you go on. Okay, when do they have sex in the movies? When does it happen? Dating. First time they meet, maybe second or third. Is it ever in the married relationship? On TV and movies, it's always premarital, extramarital, right? We don't even have in our media good examples of sexuality. You know? And so that's affecting you. It's affecting your marital relationship right now. So you want to understand background issues. Then there's individual issues that affect your sexuality. And so that can be body image. Um, and it's so funny, we think about it as a female thing. But actually, I work with couples and I work with men. And it's often just as much a male and a female issue. So I actually do exercises I do with couples where we talk about how they feel about their bodies with each other. And, you know, I'll have women who are like, you know, the body parts I like are this and this, and the body parts I don't like are, and it's usually the trunk. So from the neck to the hips, you know, my stomach, my thighs, my, you know, and so on. So men will sometimes say their body hair, they don't like their body hair, but you know what? Often they'll go, I don't like my fat, I don't like my, and so what happens is when couples touch each other's fat or hair, they go, they pull back. It's harder for women to relax because of how they feel about their bodies a lot of the time. Um, so body image, that's the individual piece that also affects sexuality. And then of course, if a couple is um, having problems in their marital relationship, it's going to affect their sexuality. So this can be where if your conflict is high, anger really affects sexuality. I have um, couples that come in where the husband um, has erectile issues or he has low desire. And yes, there's probably medical issues involved and we have to deal with the medical issues. But also, sometimes if there's a lot of anger in the home, that will affect desire and it will affect the ability to actually stay erect. And so you have to deal with the medical, you have to deal with the relational, and you have to deal with the individual. It's never, it's very rarely just one piece. It's usually a lot of different pieces. Plus, if there's been any betrayals, so this is pornography affairs and emotional affairs. If there have been any betrayals in the relationship, that definitely affects it. And often what happens is we get patted on the back as disciples, good job. You know, you've forgiven each other, you're going on, and the real pain of the betrayal doesn't get dealt with. And so that's why the Whiteners class that's happening right now, and actually there's a whole chapter on that in our book, on how to deal with sexual betrayals. You might actually have already worked through the pain of the betrayal, but it could still be affecting your sexuality, and you don't even know how to talk about it. It comes up, pictures will come up, you'll be wondering, is he thinking this, is she thinking this, are they picturing this in their mind, you know, or, they um, actually open up something, and they, you'll, you'll see them on their phone or on their on their. They'll get a phone call, and all of a sudden you get this flashback, and we think you're not being forgiving. 
you should be forgiving because somebody's pain comes up. And so one of the things I actually help couples with is that um, there's a difference between holding a record of wrongs and having trauma reactions. And so if, if there's been betrayals in the relationship, trauma will come up and it's super emotional and it floods the body physically. And that trauma might be your background trauma that has nothing to do with your spouse, or it might be trauma that happened in your marriage. And when that happens, you actually have to find ways to talk through the trauma so that you can then end up being more intimate. Conflict can actually create closeness. Often conflict creates division. But there's actually a way to have conflict even around the betrayals that happen in your marriage so that you can end up close at the end. And so one of the things I actually work with couples on is let's say the wife had an affair and the husband gets triggered and he's feeling a lot of pain. Then he comes to her and says, hey, that movie we watched brought up a lot of pain for me and I, um, I'm having a hard time even wanting to cuddle and touch and I'm just having a difficult time right now. And she says, ah, so that came up for you right now. Well, it, it makes sense because that movie triggered what happened before and I'm so sorry that the things I did are still coming up for you in pain and I, I, uh, I, that makes sense to me that that would come up for you. I am so sorry that the choices I made are still affecting you now. Is there anything that I can do for you right now to help? That's such a different, see, that, see that's, a big, that's a big one, right? That's when there's big pain in your marriage. You can actually become closer through sharing the big pain. But you have to get help with that process. I am giving, this is like a four hour workshop that I'm describing in about five minutes. Using, this is the validation tool that he showed you, using it to apply to betrayals and big things going on in your marriage. Because those are affecting what happens when you get into bed, all right? So then there's also um, other medical issues that come up in your marital relationship. So often, um, the biggest things that come into my office are low desire and um, erectile dysfunction and vaginal pain. So we actually devoted an entire chapter to desire because it's such a big issue. Um, there's a diagram that we won't be able to show you because it's not working. And the diagram goes like this. Okay, it's a little curve. And it's a Masters and Johnson model. And at the beginning of the diagram it says, first people feel desire, then they feel arousal, then they have an orgasm, and then they go through resolution. It's called the sexual response cycle. All right, it's been around for about 50 years. Masters and Johnson created this cycle. They did some crazy research. The problem is the majority of people, oh my gosh, if you know anything about their research, yeah, it was crazy. So that piece on desire, 70% of women do not experience desire until after they start touching. And so we have this thing, if a woman doesn't feel desire, then she's not very, she doesn't want sex. And so it usually becomes a, she's not interested in me. Okay, what's wrong with me? The male's over there going, I'm not wanted, I'm not attractive to her. When actually the majority of women don't feel desire until after. And so the Basson model, which is a circular model, is more correct. And so let me explain that because this is actually true for about 30% of men. Men with low desire, and I'm gonna describe that in just a minute. In the Basson model, it starts off with a willingness to engage sexually and then appropriate sexual touch begins. And then the body starts responding, 
and then desire kicks in. It's called a responsive desire. The majority of women have a responsive desire. So you know what this looks like in your marriage? This is your wife going, oh, or your husband, going, um, sure, yeah, we can engage sexually, all right, okay. Um, oh, that's nice, that feels good. That, that feels good, that feels, actually that feels good. I'd like to have an orgasm right now. So that's called responsive desire, that the desire for sexual release doesn't occur until things get going. Often what happens with desire is if a husband, now especially this is where the problem comes in if it's a male, if it's a male with low desire, which is a big chunk of my practice, because it's so, okay, our culture says, what about men, right? All men want sex. That's what our culture says, right? But what if you're a male who has a low sex desire? For whatever reason, it might be biological, you might have um, hypogonadism and that will actually cause low testosterone, that will actually cause low desire. But it may be, I have men that come in and they're like, I don't actually think about it a lot, I don't picture it a lot, and the wife's going, um, um, if you are a male and you don't want sex, then it means I'm not attractive or there's something wrong with you. It may be that the male just has low desire. And so if, if either the female, the husband or the wife is sitting around waiting for their um, sex desire to kick in, they're never going to have sex because it may not kick in until things get going. So it's actually been a problem that that model where desire comes first has been around for 50 years and it's actually incorrect for about half the population. So that's important to know. Well, let me teach you about some other things, which I don't have a picture, so I'm gonna be using my hands a lot, okay? Picture a big oval. There's a hole in the middle of that oval. That whole oval is the vulva. The picture in the little hole in the middle is the vagina, the vajayjay, okay? <laughs> Around the vagina are two sets of flesh. The first set and the second set are the lips, the lips minor and lips major. So, they all look different. One day I was at a conference and my daughter texts me, where are you? I said, I'm at a conference. She goes, oh, what are you doing? And I said, I've been looking at thousands of pictures, pictures of clitorises today. And she texts back and says, mommy, you're so funny. She's like 16 at the time. I'm like, you're probably the only teenager that gets a, a text from her mother with the word clitoris on it. <laughs> they all look different. Every female clitoris looks different. But actually, let me describe the clitoris. Here's the vagina, here's the lips. All the lips look different. Up here is the clitoris, so the urethra is the little hole right here where the pee is coming out, right? Actually, a lot of women don't even know where their urethra is. They think they pee out of their vagina or their clitoris. Yeah? No, but actually, I, I, you know what's really scary? I'd never taken a human sexuality class, and I was like, I don't know, my 30s? And I'm like, I'm not even quite sure all the different parts down there. So understanding physiology is actually pretty important. Vagina, lips, urethra, clitoris. That little knobby part that sticks out, right? That's the clitoris, and it's covered by a hood. It's got a clitoral hood. And then, what people don't know is that the clitoris is more than that little knob. Here's the clitoris, it's the head, like the head of the penis, that's the head of the clitoris. It then has a shaft that goes into the body and legs, the crura, that come down around the vagina. And they're actually underneath the lips. So the clitoris actually surrounds the vulva, all right? And the clitoris is surrounded by 
erectile tissue. So the penis has all the erectile tissue. Yes, this is the only class where you're going to see this, okay? So here's the penis surrounded by erectile tissue. That erectile tissue in the female is all around. It surrounds the clitoris, it's um, the legs of the clitoris. It surrounds the actual head of the clitoris and the shaft. And actually, the urethra hole, there's a tube along the urethra that is erectile tissue. So when you press your fingers, picture it, okay, you're married, you can. <laughs> picture your husband's fingers going into the vagina and pressing up. That's the G-spot. It's the erectile tissue around the urethra. It's a tube of tissue. Then you also have erectile tissue at the perineum. So here's the vagina. Here's the perineum. Here's the anus. Yes, you have an anus. It's right here. In between it is erectile tissue. So actually for women, men find out that Orgasms are clitoral, okay? The clitoris is involved in 99% of orgasms. Some women can actually orgasm without having their clitoris touched, they're rare. The majority of people have to have direct clitoral and indirect clitoral caressing to achieve orgasm. So men go, oh, the clitoris is there here, okay. <laughs> and they try to get their wife to come to orgasm by sitting on one spot. You gotta remember, it's all spread out. Women do need direct clitoral stimulation only when they say they want it. So you, the wives, have to communicate to their husband what touch feels good. You actually have to be super specific because they actually don't know unless you tell them. The male, it's kind of simple. It's just right here. And so it actually is simpler. I wish I could show you, but we have this diagram. It's about this big. And it says the differences between men and women and sexual arousal. And the first part of the diagram shows one little dot, the one little lever, like a light switch, and underneath it is about 50,000 dials and light switches. This says men, this says women. The men's is one switch. Women has a million dials and switches. And actually, I have couples come in and they're, she's had her first orgasm. I mean, because I, I have couples come in that the wife has never orgasmed. And so she's come in and they've, I've taken them through therapy and they've had their first orgasm. And then they come in and I tell them ahead of time, but they forget. And he's like, I did the same thing the next night. And it didn't work. And it's like, oh my gosh, because you're looking for that one little switch. No, you forget, that's the male switch. You know. Now, but in the reality is, I'm joking, but some men are more like all the dials and the switches. And so they might be, if there's erectile issues, premature ejaculation, sometimes you've got a lot more dials down there for the men, all right? So there's discrep desire discrepancy that comes up for married couples that has to be addressed. So let me, let me talk about some of the medical complications. So, yes, men, you should, I, I don't have any of my pictures, but let me tell you, the male picture is kind of funny. So it's a big penis hanging down, and it looks like it's sliced off so that you can see all of the internal parts. It's a scary picture. Um, but the reality is, you've got all these blood vessels coming in, and so if you have erectile issues, it may be showing a blood flow issue, which may be reflective of a heart issue. One of the first ways that they know that men have heart problems is because they're having erectile problems. So it's not like, what's wrong with his penis and he's not interested in me and I'm not attractive. Wives, I'm sure you've thought that, because many do. If their husband has erectile problems, they're thinking it's me. It may be that his testosterone is low. It may be because he's having a blood flow problem, as in, 
and it may be lifelong. There are men that come into my office that have had premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction since they've been young, and so actually that can get involved in why people end up using pornography, is to try to, does my system work? So erectile dysfunction, yes, Viagra is a wonderful thing. I actually work with the main, um, Dr. Erwin Goldstein is the main researcher on Viagra. I work with him, he's an amazing practitioner. It does work, but it doesn't work for all men. I actually do have men who have, um, I had a couple, <laughs> so they came in to see me and he was, um, his erection worked. They could stay, he could stay erect all the way through, but then he didn't ejaculate. So there can be all kinds of medical issues. And what I didn't know, I didn't ask. I sent him to a sexual medicine specialist. His primary doctor said, yeah, yeah, no, this is a great specialist, Dr. Owen Goldstein, you should go see him. But by the way, let's actually take you off of your SSRI, your um, depression medication first, and check that. And make, I was like, you're on an antidepressant? I don't know how I missed it. They'd been in therapy with me for a year, and they were doing great. She was having orgasms, and they were running around 65 years old in their background naked, not even kidding. They had this whole renewed sexual relationship, and he still wasn't uh, ejaculating. And so he went off his SSRI, and boom, he had, and he actually was no longer depressed because he was back and being in love with his wife. <laughs> and he had an orgasm for the first time in 10 years. It was very exciting. I know. I was like, I'm such a good sex therapist. Only took me a year to figure it out, but you know. So that's, so erectile issues, ejaculation issues, premature ejaculation is actually, just so you know, most of you, okay, throw out a number for me. How many minutes? Does, it does a man last in stimulation before he ejaculates? How many minutes? Three, Three one, come on. Six, eight, five, come on. Ten, I was waiting for the tens. Okay, all the movies say 20, all the little programs on TV say prolong it, right? The typical male ejaculates between two and five minutes. It is not considered premature ejaculation until it's under a minute. So I have men that come in and I have premature ejaculation, why is one, yeah he does. And she's kind of frustrated because, well, I'll tell you why. But anyway, I let them know, first of all, that that, if you, and he's like, you know, and I say, so tell me about how soon do you, and well, within about two minutes, I'm like, I'm sorry, you don't have premature ejaculation. <laughs> so that kind of bums them out. But actually where the bummer is, is that the wife, most people believe that it's actually through um, intercourse that people, that women will reach orgasm. Only 30% of women reach orgasm during intercourse. Why? Here's the vagina, here's the clitoris. There's a lot of space in between. It, it's challenging, number one, physiologically. There's gotta be direct clitoral stimulation. So you have, most women, you have to actually either give her an orgasm before or after you have intercourse, or you can stimulate her during intercourse. You're just getting all my hand signals, right? <laughs> and then the other piece is that um, for the majority of women, because they don't ejaculate, uh, ejaculate, well they do, but you don't know that yet, um, until, they're enough stimulation to the clitoris, then if they're expecting penetration, intercourse to bring them to orgasm, and the male, there's a math problem here. Women take 20 to 30 minutes, okay? You got the whole slow cooker, men are microwaves and women are slow cookers. Men take about two to five minutes. It takes 20 to 30 minutes for women to reach orgasm, except for certain people I know that I won't point to in this room. And so most women <laughs> take 20 to 30 minutes. Okay, there's a math problem there, right? He's thrusting for two to five minutes and she's like, hey, 
right? And she's thinking that it's actually intercourse that's going to bring, you know, and he's not lasting long enough, so it becomes very frustrating. There's no way in heaven he can keep lasting unless he's got delayed ejaculation, like the guy who wasn't ejaculating, right? So the reality is you actually have to stimulate the woman for quite a while. Some women can actually come to orgasm through intercourse, or they can come in uh, if you're continuing to stimulate her up until that time, and then you go into intercourse, then she might be able to orgasm then. The reality is for some women, they actually might need additional um, stimulation, and so I do have women that use vibrators. Um, if you've ever listened to the mammals, they're very, very open. This is the elder mammals. She does, they, gave, they answered these questions one time, and one of them was, do you, what, what is your thoughts about toys? So this is elders in our kingdom. Why don't you talk about toys? And she goes, I'm 60. They're great. And that was the end of her comment. <laughs> There may be additional stimulation that may either be that you need to use a lubricant, a better lubricant. What do we buy? What do we always suggest? Astrophys um, yeah. One. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's in our book. Slick. Slick. Anyway, there's a lot of weird names out there for this stuff. So it's in our book. The one we recognize the most that I can't even tell you. I swear they should pay us for how often we talk about it. I can't remember the name. Okay, so these are some of the physiological challenges that come up. And so let me talk about vaginal pain. For women, especially as you're aging, um, you're going through menopause, you've had your hyster hysterectomy, your hormones are low, you've had problems with a tampon since you were 13, you've had problems after since after you had children. Women have pain issues in the vagina. And often what happens is you go and you tell your um, gynecologist and they say, oh, or she says, he or she says, oh, okay, here's an estrogen cream, here's a moisturizer, go use a lubricant. So they give you an estrogen cream, but there's a problem. Sometimes you do need estrogen because the vagina is estrogen fed, but the skin, the vestibule, I didn't even describe it to you, here's the vagina, the skin around the vagina is called the vestibule. The vagina is estrogen fed, the vestibule is testosterone fed. So you've got gynecologists throwing estrogen at it, and actually it's a testosterone issue for some women. So <laughs> this person's going to kill me. I'm not saying names. But there's somebody in here who could share with you how, help, how glad they are that they went on testosterone because they had pain for 30 years, and now they've been pain-free for two and a half. So um, we talk about it in the book because sometimes it's a testosterone issue. Sometimes it's internal pain. So actually a lot of the people I send to sexual medicine specialists because the pain can be also during orgasm or can be internal, and that might be from either cysts or having babies or different surgeries that you've had. And so then you've got to have often pelvic floor therapy to help with the pain internally. So we have, in the research study that I did, um, I had, oh gosh, probably, I don't know how many women with sexual pain, quite a few of them. And I have three women who were receiving testosterone and pelvic floor therapy that all during the first six weeks were pain-free. So it's a pretty, people don't know that there are medical answers to some of these physical issues that are going on for men and for women. And so again, we cover that pretty thoroughly in the book. All right, I'm trying to think of what else was on my slides and I don't even know what time it is. What time is it? I got 15 minutes. I am going to open it up for questions. Let me just give you five more minutes of some stuff, okay? If your marital relationship is not going well, if you are not talking, if you are not going on dates, if you are not 
Um, working on your communication, that's the first step. So when I work with couples, I start at verbal intimacy, then I go to um, relational intimacy. Sometimes touch becomes a problem. If sex is a problem, often what happens is touch becomes a problem. If people have withdrawn sex for various reasons, they stop touching. And so one of the first things I actually help couples do is how to get back to affection and touch. And it's a gradual process. We have three sets of cards. Sorry, it's actually five decks, but it's three levels of cards that I give to couples and that we're selling actually here here and at our booth, is they start out with a verbal intimacy, then touch, and then sexual intimacy. And they're communication cards for you to play to make it kind of fun. Why is there a whole chunk just on touch? Because it's super problematic. You might have a background where touch was problematic growing up and you've never been comfortable with it, or it might have become a problem in your marriage. So one of the things that I also help people with is the physical part of the relationship that's non-sexual. Sometimes what you've got is people, like, this is what most people do, we hold hands, we have sex, we don't do anything in between. And so helping people with affectionate and sensual touch are super important. Then I go into the sexual part of the relationship. Okay, so I'm giving you a very fast preview of all the different areas that are usually needed to cover. All right, so I'm going to open it up for questions. And you might be like, there's no way in heaven I'm asking your question out loud with my hand. So go ahead and write them down if you've got some of them. If anybody's bold enough to actually put up their hand, I will clap for you. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and so some people use coconut oil and it's not coming to my mind. Coconut oil is a big one right now, and yes, for some people they can't actually, hmm? olive, oil. olive oil, thank you. Sometimes people can't actually use lubricants because of skin conditions, and so that can work. The reality is the reason why a lot of people can't use lubricants is they've been using the wrong kind. If you have KY jelly in your Cabinet, throw it away. Go and get <gasps> H2O. So I got to figure it out before we leave. So yes, type of lubricants there are non. Uh, there's water-based and silicone-based, and so you do want to sometimes decide which one is better. And then sometimes you can use oils to also help when you've got skin conditions. Yes. Yeah, in the back. One of the, the thing that Tim put up on validation, the very bottom of it is the word empathy. It is the cornerstone of the work that I do, and then when we teach validation, it's the, it's the cornerstone of the whole piece. And the thing about empathy is, it's about getting in the other person's shoes, okay? So when your spouse is sharing something, if you don't take the time to set us, okay, so let me, actually, let me ask you this. When you, someone's sharing, doesn't mean if it's your spouse or anybody else, when they're sharing something that they're upset with you about, what happens internally to you? Defense. Defense. Guilt, shut down. Keep saying it. Defend yourself, rebuttal. Okay, you have all these things. There's, people tend to fix it. They tend to defend it, they tend to apologize, they tend to explain it, and all of those things are problematic. So the reason why empathy often doesn't get reached 
is because people don't know what to do with all of those responses or your own hurt comes up. Your spouse comes to you and they say, you know what, this, you did this and it really, I mean, in working with couples, I work just as much with the speaker as I do with the listener because it's vital how you speak. So I'll get there, but the empathy part is, first, you've gotta take the stuff, and I talk about a virtual shelf, that take those responses that you're having and don't squish them. Don't shove them under the carpet and don't zip them up. Put them on the virtual shelf where you can see them and actually honor them. Fixing it, apologizing, explaining, defending even, has some good to it. Because when somebody feels defensive, there's usually something underneath it and you want to pay attention to it. So what I usually advise people to do is put it up on your shelf. Put it up there and honor it. And then, so the scriptures we use are Proverbs 4, 7, and we haven't given you any scriptures, but there are a zillion scriptures. We did in the beginning. There are a zillion scriptures in the book. Proverbs 4, 7, though it costs all you have, get understanding. So if you prioritize understanding in your marriage and decide, I'm going to set myself aside, Philippians 2, I'm going to consider them better, and I'm going to decide to prioritize my spouse and make understanding more important than anything else. If we use the energy that we want to use to defend and fix and explain, have you ever seen those spinning classes, right? <laughs> Not going anywhere, right? Well, that's what we do in our conflict, is and we're trying to defend and prepare our rebuttal and so on. Use all that energy to put your stuff on the shelf and use it towards understanding your spouse. So that's the first thing is that, first of all, reflect what they say. Reflection is the first big piece. The cards we um, have, we actually tell people that's the first thing to practice. And if we had time and could do a full workshop, we'd teach you how to reflect, because it actually is a teaching thing. The first thing a listener does is reflect. The second thing they do is ask questions, and this is what's important. If you use your shelf really well and put everything up there, then you can start asking questions that really come from genuinely wanting to understand. Because we'll do this kind of thing. So, what was it about my face that made you mad? <laughs> And we don't really want to understand, do we? So I actually teach couples to take timeouts to go get to a place where they genuinely want to understand. Don't start asking questions until you really want to understand. Go take it and say, hey, I'm feeling myself be reactive. I want to hear you. So let me take a timeout right now and let's talk about this in 20 minutes. Timeouts need to have a time on them. Come back in that 20 minutes and say, okay, can we do this again? Share with me. And now you're in a spot because you prayed, you walked, you've called a friend. Hey, what's the game show? And you talked to God, you sang a song, and now you're in an hour the next morning in a better place to listen. And then you can get to empathy. And then you can draw them out. So that's Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, and a man of understanding, a woman of understanding, draws them out. So it starts with reflect, and then it's ask questions. That comes from that heart of wanting to draw out and understand. Then confirm and then empathy and what it looks like is what Tim described when ah so when I came in on Friday and I said this to you you felt small and hurt and disrespected did I get that right okay I think I can understand that because I did this project at work and my boss came in and said this and this to me and I felt small and disrespected and disregarded. I think I can understand. Then you've gone from mentally understanding to what Luke 7 talks about. Jesus is watching the funeral go by and the woman with her son who's just died, she's a widow, and it says his heart went out to her. What it actually says in the Greek is his guts were moved. 
That's what you want to create. That's empathy. You want to create the guts being moved. Okay. Other questions? Yes. You mentioned the uh, the use of a vibrator. And yeah. All throughout, I guess, uh, my uh, my Christianity and uh, even prior to Christian Christian days, uh, and from the male side, I guess you know that uh, the the idea and use of masturbation, you know, has mm -hmm. a, I guess a negative stigma on that. So what what's the argument on the uh, Women's and why you would use a vibrator, right? So actually, I'm not trying to be like self-promoting about the book, but there's a whole section on masturbation in there. So the main thing is about stimulation and the purpose of the stimulation. What Tim just shared is when you look at the overarching view of sexuality, it's about connection. It's about intimate connection. So anything that you're going to use in your marriage, whether you use Viagra, whether you use a vibrator, whether you use a condom, whether you use um, a slicker fluid, or you dress up, or you have it on a bed or on the floor, whatever you decide to do, it should all be about creating connection. So if masturbation includes connection in the marital relationship, then you're on different ground. If the vibrator creates connection, then you're on different ground. So we actually give, in the book, eight things <laughs> that are what's allowed. So we have a what's allowed list. I don't ever tell people, ever, in my private practice or when we're counseling people individually, couples individually, we don't tell them what they can and can't do. But we do give them a list of what's allowed. Actually, I just talked with um, the elder mammals, and I reminded him, he's the first one that said the what's okay list. We call it the what's allowed list. And it has questions. Is it prohibited in the Bible? Um, is it against someone's conscience? Is it polluted by the world and can't be reclaimed? Or can it be reclaimed? So there's eight different questions with scriptures after them that we give people to do so that as a couple, they can sit down and go, hmm, is this something we want to include in our marriage? One of the biggest parts of that is what's the fruit of it? Sometimes people will try something out sexually and it just turns out to be something that creates division and it's not a positive thing. Sometimes it's because you might have hangups that you need to work through, but sometimes the fruit of it just isn't helpful. So I've had people that have tried vibrators and felt like it actually didn't create connection. Then don't use it again. Or they've used a condom or they've used Viagra or they've used whatever the choice is. So the main thing is, is whatever you're going to use in your marital relationship, make sure it's fitting in the overarching scheme of sexuality in the Bible, which is about creating intimacy. So, if that answers that, yes. Uh, with the race acronym, yes. when you end with empathy, mm -hmm. how come you wouldn't apologize? Yes, so this is just it. Anybody ever had somebody say, oh, I'm sorry, and you're like, for what? You don't even understand what's bothering me. All the women are going, yes! Okay, now the reality is most people feel that. Have you ever had like a boss or somebody you work with or a friend who said they're sorry, and you're like, well, that's nice, but I don't feel like you really get it. What people often do, especially disciples, because we want to be humble, is we say sorry. But if understanding isn't there, sorry doesn't work. <laughs> that was a lot of female voices there in that response. So the reality is your spouse is hungry. Remember, though it costs all you have, get understanding. Um, okay, Isaiah 58, 9 through 11. Get away, do away with a pointing finger. It says, there's a scripture with the word pointing finger on it, which I think is so cool. Okay, do away with the pointing finger and instead 
meet the needs of the hungry, and then your needs will be satisfied. And then, so the first thing God says is get rid of this stuff and instead focus on the needs of the others. So when you focus on understanding, making that the focus, he says these are the results. Your light will be like the noonday. Your, um, thank you. Oh yes, we're going to show that in a second. Um, your needs will be met. And then, it's my favorite part in the end of Isaiah 58, verse 11 says, and you will be like a well-watered garden with a spring whose water never fails. So this is what God wants to create. Some of you might feel like your marriage is a desert or it's a very rocky place. It's not the green garden. Now, close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Picture the greenest place you've been to. Most lush, green, water place, beautiful. Picture it. Now say out loud where you're picturing. Everybody say it out loud right now. Right. Almost everybody says Hawaii. It's so not fair. I've had people see New Zealand, right? That place. That's what God wants to create in your marriage. All right. The thing is, is that if we don't prioritize really genuinely understanding our spouse, that green stuff doesn't grow very good. And so apologies sound good, but they get in the way of the understanding piece that creates connection. So other questions? Yes, way back there. Say it again. I heard the medicine for women. Say it even louder. <laughs> Do they have any medicine so that it can be faster? <laughs> well, if you could bottle it up, let me tell you, it would sell. It's called talk, talk some more, and talk some more. And then it's called... Take her out on a date, take her out on a date, and take her out on a date, make sure you talk some more. And then it's called, touch her, touch her, touch her, touch her, but not her boobs and her butt. So that would be a very long name for a medicine, but that's what I would recommend. So, you know. <laughs> anyway, other questions? Yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, let me just answer what he might be asking. There is a medicine. All the medicines are out there for men. All of them. There's never been a female medicine approved. I don't, I don't push medicine. I really, really don't. However, it is kind of interesting. And so the same author, uh, uh, um, Erwin Goldstein is the primary researcher on um, Viagra. He is the primary researcher on phlebanserin. It got approved. It's the first female medicine to be approved. It's not the pink pill. People call it the pink pill because the blue pill works instantaneously pretty much. Viagra Cialis Levitra. The blue pill, sorry, the pink pill, the phlebanserin, you take it every day. However, people have felt like their desire went up and it skyrocketed. So it is available from your doctors. And I always joke about how these doctors are having all kinds of interesting conversations. One last question. I'm going to talk about this for a second. I saw hand up over here. Yes? Yeah, you're like, I'm wanting all this, and he's like, I don't know. I'm not so comfortable with doing all that. Well, he's fine, but, but I just, but he's still, I just... You, like, the, where the exploring, the desire to explore and try things might be more the feminine part. Yeah, 
Okay, let me ask you something. When men are, woohoo, I like sex and I want to have sex and I like sex and I do sex a lot, what are they called? Horny. Oh, come on. What else are they called? <laughs> Casanova. Perverts. Yes, we do have negative versions. Horny and pervert. And then Casanova Don Juan, right? If a man goes and has lots of sex, he's called Casanova Don Juan, right? If a woman likes sex and wants to have sex and wants sex all the time, what does she call? She called a hoe. A hoe. A hoe. She's called a hoe. A whore and a slut. I have asked that question internationally and I get the same answers. So actually one of the challenges that comes up is if the female has more interest and more, ooh, let's try things out. So, um, all right. First thing is, is just accepting low male desire. And the second thing is start talking about it. So, I don't mean this to sound, but if you read, Oh, yay, I just spilled water. If you read <clears throat> this book, if you read chapter one, don't read ahead. Do not buy this book. I'm going to read the whole thing. My wife, she doesn't want sex. I'm reading the whole thing and then I tell her what it says. And my husband, he needs to change, right? I want him to be more creative. I want, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. The thing to do is don't read ahead. Read together. Read the first chapter, go on a date and talk about it. Read the second chapter, go on a date and talk about it. Read the third chapter, sit down with a cup of coffee, talk about it. Read the fourth chapter, read it at the same pace and talk about each chapter. Increase your conversation. It is, so the big thing I tell people is, it is easier to have sex than it is to talk about sex. So the first thing to do is increase how much you talk about sex. So the way that the cards go is there's five decks, and um, the first deck is deck one and two, and it's on the intimacy. It's the friendship. It's the emotional part of your relationship. That's deck one and two. Deck three is touch. Deck four and five is sex. It's very explicit, very explicit. So um, the reality is, there. what I encourage people to do is play these cards for five minutes a day starting at the first level. Why the first level? Because being genuinely open, even on simple things, sometimes is problematic in marriage. So start with, if you've got a, a spouse that doesn't isn't very comfortable sharing, start on the, and actually some people can't even start with these cards because they immediately start in marriage and I tell them, go by the ungame, which is the all ages version and start with the all ages version of the ungame first, then buy these cards. Um, or then use these cards. So what's important is learning how to be open and just listen and be compassionate about each thing and then start talking about touch and talk about that and then start talking about sex. Don't just jump right, but this is, so there's several chapters of the book that say, uh, like uh, chapter 17, oh that, the fun and practicals is uh, chapters 18 and 19 and it says at the beginning of the chapter, you might have just opened to this chapter, right, you know, before reading anything else, because you're looking for answers. Stop and go back and read the other chapters first. It's okay, you go ahead and read it. But the reality is often what's needed is communication about all the other areas first. Okay? So we will be here all day until my feet are hurting. Till uh, I don't know what time today. Um, we're in booth 201. We're selling the books and the cards. This is what I recommend. Okay. This is $18. These are $10 a piece. So they're 50 individually, but if you buy the whole thing, it's 54. People keep asking me, so I'm just gonna tell you all at once. 
you can just buy the book. There are tons of exercises in here. The, our purpose was to get this in the hands of disciples. We, I get calls all the time. We have this problem, we have this problem, and I can't do therapy with somebody outside of state bounds. I can do it internationally, and I can do it in California. But this you can pick up, and hopefully it'll be helpful. The reality is, though, what you need to start doing is talking. There are tons of exercises in here that will get you towards talking, so you can just use the book. But if you want to do the whole package, that's something we recommend. All right? I think it's time to go, right? Is it on the hour? Love you all. Bye. The name that we always recommend is Liquid Silk. Oh, it took me forever.